Welcome to this episode of TBR, a series of the EVPL Footnotes podcast. TBR stands for To Be Read, that pile of books sitting on your nightstand, bookshelf, or table just waiting to be read. This is the podcast for people who embody the phrase, so many books, so little time, and for those who want to ignite a love for reading. Every month we'll be highlighting a few of the new items coming to the EVPL collection, from books to movies to our library of things. So this is Jamie again, your regular host of TBR, and I'm joined here by Lori, who works out at our Red Bank branch. Hi. We're talking about the incoming new items for this September. We always, I, I look eagerly forward to the list of items that are coming in. And although we get hundreds, literally every month of new items being added, which also explains why maybe something you used to have, we used to have might get weeded to make space for new things. We always have exciting things to look forward to. So we're now going to be talking about the things that are coming in this month that we're excited about. Yes. You want to go first, Lori? Sure. So we're getting into spooky season, which is my favorite season. If you listen to any, literally any other podcast episode, you'll hear me talk about spooky season at some point. (laughs) So I'm a big fan and September is coming up. It's right before October. So a lot of the publishing houses are also gearing up for spooky season. Right. Everybody looks forward to this time of year. So there are a few that I'm very much so looking forward to. The first one, which I actually talked about on a different episode, was House of Hunger by Alexis Henderson, which is a sapphic story about vampires and the way that class affects that, from what I understand. Classist vampires. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's so. uh, that's an interesting aspect on that. Yes. And who did you say the author was? Alexis Henderson, who also wrote The Year of the Witching. Okay. Oh, yeah. I've read that book. Mm-hmm. So that one I'm pretty excited about. And then there's another one also that's witchy called The Witch and the Czar. And I've actually been looking forward to this one for a couple months and didn't realize it was coming out this month. Um, And it is a debut novel of an author, Olesia Salnikova Gilmore. And basically it is a retelling of Baba Yaga and that folklore. Yes. Um, which I think is going to be super exciting and fun. Um, and I don't know a whole lot about Russian folklore, so it'll be a new path for me to explore. So I had also picked that book mm-hmm. because I also love, I love the retelling of fables and folklore. Yes. I love it with all of my heart. I read the entire trilogy that began with the Bear and the Nightingale, which is also the Russian folklore kind of retelling mm-hmm. that involves uh, a witch. So when I saw the witch and the czar come up on that list, I was really excited about that. And I've also added it. And I, you know, that element of Baba Yaga, mm-hmm. but it also incorporates Ivan the terrible. Yes. And why was Ivan the terrible so terrible? And it's, of course, it's fiction, you know, it's sure. not proposing actually any reason for it, but it's suggesting what supernatural forces might be going on that is driving his madness mm-hmm. and how can Baba Yaga come into play here. And so I think it sounds fascinating. I tend to really enjoy the witch leaning books. Yes, that, too. that is a central character is also very enjoyable for me. Yeah. And 
And if you enjoy folklore retellings, there is another one that I noticed um, that I got pretty excited about called Ithaca by Claire North. I didn't see that one. So that one is the story of Penelope of Ithaca, the Mm. famed wife of Odysseus. And in that story, Penelope doesn't really have, in the original story, excuse me, Penelope doesn't really have much of a story. She essentially just waits for her husband to come come home. Right. And this story is about what happens while she's waiting. Interesting. So what was going on? Yes. While he was gone for 20 years. Yes. And part of it was that in the original, she had all these suitors coming right. to her, trying to essentially steal her land from right. her. Right. And how she would have to keep distracting them and pushing the day off. And, oh, well, let me finish this first. And yes. then she would stay up at night and unweave the weaving she had made during exactly. the day. You know, interestingly, I have a little garden. Well, it's not a little garden. It's a big garden spider <laughs> on my back porch was I have left because those garden spiders eat all the nasty bugs. Yep. And so I I needed a name for this garden spider that I walk by and see. And because of Penelope and her weaving, that's mm-hmm. that's the name. And so I walk by as I go down the back porch and greet Penelope as I go. <laughs> <laughs> when winter comes in, she will pack her bags, no doubt. But yeah. in the meantime, we, we have a um, respectfully distant relationship. <laughs> But she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, no, I I like those retellings. So I always have a list of books that I'm going to read that are based on a retelling. In fact, even though this has been out for a while, I have Circe. Such a good book. Which is on my list of I need to read soon because it's another retelling. And uh, there's a number of retellings like that. In fact, I'm thinking of doing a whole display on the retellings of fables. I read the book For the Wolf, which is a retelling of the Red Riding Hood story. Mm-hmm. And the sequel has recently come out. So in this series, which is, by the way, by Hannah F. Witten, the monarchy goes through the mother. So it's a matriarchy. Mm-hmm. But the tradition, because this, there's a wilder wood that's around the kingdom or near the, on the borders of the kingdom. And to keep it at bay, they've made a deal. And so the first daughter is raised for the throne. She will be the ruler. And the second daughter is raised for the wolf, which will be on her, I believe it, it's been a while since I read it. I want to say her 18th birthday is taken to the Wilderwood and just released into the wood. Okay. And never comes back. No one ever knows what becomes of them. But the vibe is it's not good. Mm-hmm. And so in the series, they release for the wolf, so the telling of what happened to the daughter taken to the Wilderwood. And the sequel that just came out this summer for the throne is now going to shift the focus to but what's becoming of the daughter that's intended for the throne. Interesting. I'm assuming that there's going to be a third book, a trilogy? I don't know that yet. Yeah. Because it's just the two daughters. But in the first book, there was these background machinations mm-hmm. going on. And so I could see... What happened in For the Wolf? What's becoming of the oldest daughter in For the Throne? But there might be an aftermath that needs to be played out. Yeah, just for literary reasons, you exactly. think that the two sisters need to meet back up. Yeah, and I, I can see that happening. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm hoping I'm hoping so, because I really did enjoy the first one. And For the Throne is a, a book that I did pick up and take home, but just felt I didn't have the time to devote to it yet, but mm-hmm. it's 
definitely hovering on my radar. So another book, and I love mystery, so I almost always include a mystery mm-hmm. in my TBR podcast. And I love literary and literature things. And so there's a book that is, is being added to the collection. It's by Amanda Flower, and it's called Because I Could Not Stop for Death, which is a poem written by Emily Dickinson. And she's got this whole, because I could not stop for death, death kindly stopped and waited for me. Mm-hmm. And it's a little dark, but some of Emily Dickinson's is like that. But in this book, it's a historical fiction mystery. So this woman comes to the Dickinson household looking for work. She's just going to be a servant in the house uh, and gets turned away. But she encounters Emily. Mm-hmm. And they join forces, and part of what is going on in this servant's life is that her brother has just died in what was termed an accident, but she has doubts about whether it was really an accident. And so she and Emily Dickinson work together to find out what really happened. And I think what caught my attention was that familiar line from Emily Dickinson's poem, Because I Could Not Stop for Death. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I feel like it's going to be more mystery than spooky, but it still kind of fits the season. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking forward to that one. And one that I'm looking forward to that also fits the season, but is maybe hopefully at least a little bit more lighthearted is Mother Thing by Ansley Hogarth. Okay. And it is a darkly funny domestic horror novel about a woman who must take drastic measures to save her husband and herself from the vengeful ghost of her mother-in-law. That sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So it's about Ralph and Abby who move in with Ralph's mother, Laura. And Abby is hoping that she and her mother-in-law just need to connect. And after a traumatic childhood, she's pretty desperate for a mother figure, Mm -hmm. especially since she's trying to become a parent herself at this point. And she has a friend named Mrs. Bondi, who is a longtime resident in a long-term care home where she works. But her mother-in-law, Laura, is not really actually interested in bonding with her. She's rather venomous and cruel to her and makes her life kind of hellish. Eventually, though... Laura takes her own life. The mother-in-law does. The mother-in-law. Yes. The mother-in-law takes her life and her ghost haunts Abby and Ralph in very different ways. Ralph is sent into a depression. Abby is terrorized by a force intent on destroying everything she loves. And then Mrs. Bondi's daughter threatens to take Mrs. Bondi out of the home and move her somewhere else, which would leave Abby completely alone. So in the light of all of this, she comes up with the plan that will allow her to keep Mrs. Bondi, rescue her husband, and break her mother-in-law's hold on the family for good. Wow. Wow. That, I definitely need to add that to my list. It seems like it's going to be funny, obviously. Yeah, I like that it said darkly funny. Yes. I love that combination. <laughs> I can't take too much grim, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. But if it's darkly funny, I'm here for it. Well, and I wonder too, reading through it and um, looking into it, is this going to be something that's funny, but also speaks on the idea of generational trauma? Yes. Because, you know, what happens to your parents, their trauma affects how they raise you as your, as a child. And then the trauma that you receive affects the way that you raise your children. Right. Well, I can find the humor in, you know, oh, I'm, I have this difficult mother-in-law 
but now she's passed. Yes. Oh, wait. <laughs> yes. Still here, still causing problems. I can definitely think of a few ex-boyfriend's mothers. <laughs> I'm not naming them. I, I think that's wise. <laughs> that's, that's very wise. All right. So I like to include something nonfiction. Me too. You know, because I also like nonfiction and I tend to gravitate when it's not a crafting how-to book, I gravitate toward history. Mm-hmm. And this one, what caught my attention, it, well, two things. One, one, Agatha Christie is one of my favorite authors. Mm-hmm. All right. And then there, I've watched a few history documentaries by Lucy Worsley. And she is a British documentarian. I have an interest in Russian history. Not serious. It's just something I find interesting. And so I remember watching a documentary series done by... Lucy Worsley about the czars and the different aspects and where they lived and the main elements and their personality types and what was believed to be true, but what's, you know, what has actually been proven factually. Mm -hmm. It's really quite interesting. So I recognized her name from the documentaries. And so this is a book written by Lucy Worsley about Agatha Christie, an elusive woman. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting uh, just in the blurb that I read about it, is that Agatha Christie just would put herself forward as just a housewife, quotes included. She would just say, oh, I'm just a housewife. I just stay home and I write. When that was not even true, besides the fame that she accrued in her lifetime, and even besides that mystery disappearance that mm-hmm. went on. I was wondering if you'd bring you that know, up. <laughs> yeah, she, she disappeared for a while. There's been both... Fiction and nonfiction books written about or in movies done about that missing time period. Did she, you know, she did have an unfaithful husband. So was she punishing him by just dropping off the map and taking a break? Did she really have amnesia as she later claimed? Who knows? But besides those things, she was a much more interesting woman than what people would have phrased as just a housewife. She would go surfing in Hawaii. She loved fast cars, and she loved new science for her time period of psychology. In fact, she really dug into the new science of psychology and helped her helped her with her own struggles with mental health. Have you ever watched Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries? Yes. Okay. I love that series. Because when you're describing Agatha Christie to me, all I can think of is Miss Fisher. I see that connection when you say that. You know, except Miss Fisher never pretended to be traditional at all. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> and it, it just, I there were just the aspects of surfing in Hawaii and loving fast cars and digging into the new sciences. Never knew that about Agatha Christie, mm-hmm. and that she would do those things and yet still refer to herself as just a housewife. I find that puzzling. So I'm really looking forward to see if that book, if the book that Lucy Worsley has written will expand upon why she would describe herself in this way. Did she really see herself that way in spite of all of these things? Or was it tongue in cheek? Was it tongue in cheek or was she trying to keep a low profile? Because, you know, there were, there's expectations in society of how a well-bred woman lives. Yes. And so maybe it was her cover story. 
Maybe she still wanted to do all those things that she did, but she just didn't need the drama of people going, did you really? <laughs> yeah, I could see that. You know, and so I think any of those are a plausible idea. She saw herself that way. It was a cover story. Well, that brings me to one of the books that I'm interested in. Okay. Uh, because you talked about the way that society views well-bred women. Yes. And one book that I'm looking forward to is called Off With Her Head. 3,000 Years of Demonizing Women in Power. I heard about that book recently. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Well, it's written by Eleanor Herman. And just a little bit of the blurb here. There is a particular kind of rage. Let's call it unadulterated bloodlust. (laughs) (laughs) Usually reserved for women, especially women in power. Mm. From the ancient world through the European Renaissance up to the most recent U.S. election, The misogynist handbook, as Eleanor Herman calls it, has been wielded to put uppity women in their place. I am looking forward to it for a lot of different reasons. I think that the historical aspect is going to be super interesting and important to know about. But also just the chapter names of some of the books. Okay. So one of the chapter names is called, Why Doesn't She Do Something About Her Hair? (laughs) The Alarming Shrillness of Her Voice. The mysterious unlikability of female candidates <laughs> and her overweening ambition. Ah. So that's one that I'm really interested in looking forward to because I do think that it's going to cover a very relevant still topic. Yes. In a funny way, because sometimes when I read about these super relevant topics that have been around since the ancient world, I get so ridiculously angry right. at the fact that we're still sitting dealing with these exact same issues. Yes. That is an ongoing frustration. Yes. (laughs) But it looks like she is going to have information about Cleopatra, Anne Boleyn, Catherine the Great, Hillary Clinton. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I heard that title recently at a conference. And I believe the workshop I was in was called uh, Nonfiction That Reads Like Fiction. Oh, good. Even better. Yes. And so I'm pretty sure that was one of the titles that was mentioned. And I remember it piquing my interest immediately. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited we're adding that to collect. Yes. All right. And so that is all of the books because you, you kind of stole my thunder with which of the are. But that's okay because I know you and I like similar kinds of reads. Yes. I still have quite a few, actually, that I oh, have that I could talk about real quick there's another one in the nonfiction section that i think is going to be really interesting called it's not me it's you break the blame cycle relationship better Mm. and it is by john and vanessa kim and they are dissecting their own relationship basically and their past relationships to discover what types of traumas they have Mm -hmm. picked up along the way, how they carry that into their new relationship, and then how to overcome those traumas to grow together and foster a healthy relationship. And the book is really saying that the truth to a lot of these issues with communication within relationships, the reason why a lot of these relationships break down, is more about yourself than it is your partner. Yes, I can see that. Mm -hmm. It's more about learning to step outside of your comfort zone Mm -hmm. and to have realistic expectations and communication and patience with your partner. Um, And I think that's pretty important and interesting. And I like the pop psychology aspect of it all as well. Right. Right. So a new book that is being added, I think this week is called a dreadful splendor 
by B.R. Myers. So, A Dreadful Splendor is, in this spectacularly imaginative and ghoulishly fun gothic murder mystery. So, it's got all the elements I like. (laughs) It's a mystery, but it's also gothic, and it's brimming with romance, betrayals, chills. A fake spiritualist is summoned to hold a seance for a bride who died on the eve before her wedding. But as nefarious secrets are revealed, the line between hoax and haunting blurs. So that is one that I've got on my hold list. I'm looking forward to reading it. Just my reading list for spooky season is getting unrealistically long. (laughs) And that's that's one of the ones. Next week is Banned Books Week. And Mm -hmm. so I've, of course, selected a title to read because that's my tradition is every year in Banned Books Week. I select a title for that, and I'm going to be reading The Satanic Verses by Salman Rushdie. Mm-hmm. It's been on my shelf for a while to read, and with his recent attack, uh, that kind of moved it up the list. I thought, I was debating, what am I going to read this year? Yeah, might as well. And that's that's the one I chose. Yeah. So that's not new, <laughs> but it is the one I'm reading. But now I've got this long list of other books that I'm going to be reading as mm-hmm. soon as spooky season is truly upon us. Yeah. There's another nonfiction that I don't know if I'm necessarily excited for this particular book so much as that it is the harbinger. Basically, that's a very ominous is that word. The title or no? Okay. The title is the art of knitting hats. 30 easy <laughs> follow page patterns. 30 easy to follow patterns to create your own color work masterpieces by Courtney Flynn. Again, I don't know what these patterns are in this book. Mm-hmm. I may or may not be excited about this book, but that means that it's t- that time of the year that the publishers are publishing knitting books again. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I actually last night put a whole slew of knitting books on hold mm-hmm. because I've, I kind of had a pause in my knitting I mean, not entirely. When I say pause, it means I was only working on one thing. (laughs) And so the upsurge has come. Uh And so I have a pair of two at a time uh, socks going right now. I've cast on some yarn that I had just recently dyed up to make this. It's called the not so warm coat. (laughs) And so because it's sort of so it's structured like a coat, but it's not heavy coat. Yeah. And I had enough yarn and the right kind of dye. Hey. And so I've got that going. And fortunately, even though it's a large project, it's not a complicated one. So mm-hmm. it's going to be make great TV knitting. I am working on a large, complicated project right now. <laughs> it's full of cables. It's uh, so pretty. It's so stressful. Um. <laughs> well, and I love doing color work. And I've got a cowl that actually tonight I'm going to try to cast on that I'm going to be making that incorporates the color work of the phases of the moon. And I, I also uh, dyed the yarn for that. So I like that. And so the, the mojo is here. Mm -hmm. And so when the mojo comes, the books get it put on hold. Yes. (laughs) And I think it's interesting because you can tell somebody that doesn't knit is the one that chose the, 
publishing schedule for knitting books. Mm -hmm. Because if you ask anybody that is a serious knitter that knits year round, they do all their winter projects in the summer so they can wear them in the winter. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. I start thinking about some years I craft almost all the Christmas gifts. Mm -hmm. And the years that I do that, I start planning those in like March. Yeah. So that I have time to work through the projects. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited about that one. Getting into nice, comfy season too. Mm-hmm. And then I do have a couple little ones in my life. So there are two books that I'm excited about that are coming out for little kids. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is called I Am Me, A Book of Authenticity by Susan Verde. And it is about trying to figure out who you really are and how you conform to the way you think you're supposed to be in mm-hmm. this world. Mm-hmm. And how sometimes when we compare ourselves, we don't feel like we fit in, but then we learn to celebrate our differences. Huh? Nice. Yeah. I like that. So I'm excited about that one. And then this one I think is going to be fun to read with the littles and hopefully maybe even I can learn something from it called killer underwear invasion. <laughs> How to Spot Fake News, Disinformation, and Conspiracy Theories. Oh, that's a really good one. Yes. Very timely. Uh, It's by the author Elise Gravel. And can peanuts give you super strength? Were unicorns discovered on the moon? Did Martians really invade New Jersey? For anyone who's ever encountered outrageous stories like these and wondered whether or not they're true, this funny yet informative book breaks down what fake news is, why people spread it, and how to tell what's true and what isn't. So it's a kid-accessible book, but it's a very important subject. And even if you take the political aspect out of this idea of fake news, just having media literacy in itself is a very important... It is. It is. Because you hear people jokingly, tongue-in-cheek, say, well, it was on the internet. Yeah. You know, and of course, whether we're talking the internet or print, Mm -hmm. anything get printed or posted Yeah. And that doesn't make it true. And learning those devices to discern what what is accurate and what is not. Yeah. Wildly important. Yes. Because eventually they're going to have to grow up and write some essays. And yes, I don't want to have to figure out the night before the essay is due. Whether or not. Fact checking is super important. (laughs) Yes. So I'm pretty excited about that one, too. So one that I am waiting for. It's on order. We don't have it in the system yet is the new Stephen King book, Fairy Tale. Mm-hmm. And I have read not all of Stephen King's book, but I've read a handful over the years. But as his was earlier established, I really love the retellings of fairy tales. Mm-hmm. And I like the darker aspect, not grim. Like I said, I like the darkly humorous. And he's not always humorous, you know, but I'm very interested about his take on the fairy tale. And what I've got here says, Charlie Reed looks like a regular high school kid. Great at baseball and football, a decent student, but he carries a heavy load. His mother was killed in a hit-and-run accident when he was 10, and grief drove his dad to drink. Then, when Charlie is 17, he meets Howard Bowditch, a recluse with a big dog and a big house at the top of a big hill. In the backyard is locked shed, from which strange sounds emerge. Now, there's more to this blurb, but I just want to give a little bit of a tease. And, and just the title itself, Fairy Tale, is what drew me in. Mm-hmm. That is one that I actually am interested in. Um, people that know me well know I have a complicated relationship with Stephen King. <laughs> uh, so basically, my opinion on Stephen King is that his first act 
is always too long and too boring. His second act is amazing and way too short. Uh-huh. And then his third act doesn't make sense. Oh. That's my opinion. People are going to come for me. That's fine. You know, it's been a minute since I've read any of his books. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, I read Carrie. I read The Shining. Um, there's something else. I think I read Christine. I read Cujo. So I read a number of his books, but it's been a minute. I like his early work. Mm-hmm. And I feel a little guilty about that because a lot of his early work was written when he was on so many drugs, he doesn't yeah. remember writing them. Yeah. And I think that there are some of his stronger books. And I think that probably my favorite book that he's ever written is one of his least favorites called Rose Matter. I think it's a great book about domestic violence and Mm -hmm. how terrifying it can be to be in a situation like that. I just, I don't know. I know that he is very popular. I know that he has some great movies out there based off of his works. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I watched the Stephen King movie 1922. I haven't read the book. But it came out on Netflix, and I watched it. It was really interesting. It wasn't his typical horror film, mm-hmm. although definitely dark. It did not... Well, no, I take it back. I was going to say it didn't have the supernatural element to it, but it did. That wasn't the focal point. Mm-hmm. And the ending was really interesting. Yeah. I think maybe I just got burnt. Uh, I read about three or four Stephen King books in a row Mm -hmm. and none of the endings were very satisfactory. Mm -hmm. One of them was under the dome. Still kind of bitter about that ending. One of them was the stand. Still kind of bitter about that ending. (laughs) We are readers who get invested in the story. Yes. Um, The Tommy knockers spoilers, I guess there's a flying Coke machine that kills people. (laughs) Look, I like silly stuff, but this is just too much for me. They're silly and there's absurd. Yes. And I think part of my problem with Stephen King is that he has a tendency to glorify the alcoholics in his stories. Interesting. And I understand why he's doing this. He's coming from a perspective of he used to be an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and he wants to still see value in himself. And I think Mm -hmm. he projects that into his characters Mm -hmm. to show that even though they're an alcoholic, they're still valuable people. And I do believe that. And I do agree with that. But at a certain point, I'm wondering, are you over-representing? I was just going to say that. I feel like he's overdoing it and trying to Mm -hmm. put that point. Yeah. So, as we said, we're just talking about Stephen King and (laughs) we're moving into spooky season. So, do you have a specific title that you're looking forward to read for this time of year? Hmm. Well, I'm finishing up the final girl support group by Grady Hendrix right now. Mm -hmm. And this is my second book by him and I am really enjoying them. Uh, So I'm probably going to read another Grady Hendrix soon. So one Grady Hendrix book that I am pretty looking forward to and will probably read after I finish up the one that I'm working on now is how to sell a haunted house. (laughs) And so I feel like I need to read this because I do like the slasher genre and it has been a thing within fans of the slasher genre of like, if you think your house is haunted, just leave. Mm -hmm. Why, why are these families insisting on staying in this, you know, house that's haunted now as an adult, I'm like, Oh, because they have mortgage payments and I will just out stubborn this ghost. I'm not giving up this house. But I have always wondered, like, how do you sell a haunted house? Yeah, mm. I mean, if you've made that determination, and especially if that house has any kind of reputation, you're either going to have all the, the people who like that kind of thing banging down your door, mm-hmm. or you're going to have people coming nowhere near you. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I'm curious how that goes. Yeah. Because I imagine there's going to be a little bit of, like, Amityville horror inspiration on that. So, for spooky season. And I have always a long list (laughs) of books that I want to read for that season. But interestingly enough, the one I want to read is by the same author, Grady Hendrix. And it's the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. Just the title alone. Now, I was misled. The last time I read a book by him, I thought it was going to be almost comedic. And whenever I described it to people, and that's the Final Girl Support Group that you're reading, mm-hmm. when I would describe it to people as as the uh, concept, they would say, oh, that sounds funny. But as I was reading it, I'm like, no, it is not funny. It is not a funny book. No. It's and good, but it's not funny. It is funny. good. It is good. But if you're looking for humor, it's, it's not there. <laughs> no. And so I'm really curious when I look at the cover, the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slang Vampires, and I see peaches, you know, mm-hmm. and then the two pierced bits with the blood running down like a vampire neck. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it looks funny. It, it is looks funnier. tongue in cheek. Yes. But I wondered after having read the Final Girl Support Group if that was misleading. I would say, although I haven't finished it yet, that the slain, the, the vampire slain book is more funny okay. than the final girl's book is. I mean, and it could be just the elements because slasher films aren't funny. And that's the final girl's support group is that last surviving victim of the, as presented in the slasher films. And those don't usually have tons of humor in them. <laughs> No. Um, and usually when you do have humor in them, it is questionable whether or not it's actually funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me today. I'm looking forward to these many, many books, and I'm really curious to see how many of them I actually find the time to read, but <laughs> I'm always going to try. Yes. I'm going to add this last little story. When I was a mom with young children and barely had a time to sit down and read, I would stand at the sink washing dishes and I would wedge a paperback book or a magazine into the handles of the cupboard right at the sink so I could wash dishes and read at the same time. It was just, you know, wherever I could get a page or two in. And in spite of the fact that I, I'm not wrangling small children anymore, it still feels like it's the same challenge. My, my eyes are bigger than my stomach as far as my reading diet goes. <laughs> there is one more book that came out a few months ago that I have been pretty interested in reading, but I just never got around to it. Although it's a pretty short book, so it won't take long. Okay. Um, called Nothing But Blackened Teeth mm. by Cassandra Kaw, K-H-A-W. And that is a book about Japanese ghost stories. Ooh. Yes. So it is about a mansion that has been abandoned and they decide to use it as a wedding venue for some thrill-seeking friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after they have been there, they find a ghost bride with a black smile and a hungry heart coming after them. Oh my goodness. I really enjoy the tales of other cultures. Mm -hmm. It's really insightful. Yes. And also sometimes I've heard that Japanese do scary better than almost anybody. I think they do a different kind. So to me, a lot of Japanese horror is very psychological. Okay. It is the threat of something happening rather than it actually happening. Interesting. It is the looming idea mm-hmm. kind of sneaking up on you. Whereas a lot of American horror is body horror. It's, you know, oh, their fingernails got ripped out and then yeah. they got murdered and hung up on a rack. Yeah. And that's fun. Not in real life. That's fun in a movie. Uh, 
or a book. Don't do that in real life. Please. Um, don't do this at home. <laughs> but there's a big difference because part of it is that there are two, there are two major elements to horror and that is disgust and anticipation. I was thinking that word. Yeah. So there's two main elements in my opinion, disgust and anticipation. And so it seems to me that Japanese horror is more based around the anticipation aspect. Whereas American horror tends to be more based around the disgust aspect. Mm -hmm. Like I can't imagine that there are movies like saw yes that are making the same types of income and numbers at the box offices in japan Mm -hmm. um because i've seen quite a few japanese horror movies and their ghosts are way scarier in my opinion Mm -hmm. so we'll see okay yeah i tell you what when it comes to reading the scary stuff i have there's and there's no way for me to define it clearly Mm-hmm. But there's this level at which I get and go, oh, yeah, no, this is not for me. <laughs> so I would give that book a try. But whether I would complete it or not might be a whole different aspect. So what I do when I get to that point is I put the book down for a little bit and then I go watch a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely remember reading something really heavy. It was really good, but it's really heavy. And then it's like time for a palate cleanser. Yes. And I went and did something very lighthearted. <laughs> Yes. Well, thank you for joining me today, Lori. Thank you for having me. All right. I look forward to us getting to chat about books again. All right. Bye. Bye. TBR is a series of the EVPL Footnotes podcast. Please like, follow, and subscribe for more great episodes. For comments or questions, our email address is podcast at evpl.org.